0: Amen. We'll get started this morning. John 13, and we're going to start in our our reading in verse number uh, 21. John 13 and verse number 21, and we will read down to verse number 27, right? John chapter number 13 and verse number 21, the Bible says, When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit, And testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest. Do quickly. Brother Shane, ask the blessing on the service this morning, please. All right, thank you. Now let's go ahead and read verses number 21 and 22 again. Then I'd like for you, if you will, to go ahead and be finding your place in Luke chapter number eight, Luke chapter number eight. John chapter number 13 and verse number 21 said, when Jesus had thus said he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I send you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now we understand in John chapter number 13, this uh, portion of scripture, that there was question as to who it was that was going to betray, uh, betray the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 disciples that were following him. But before we get into this very deeply, I want to take a look, if I can, uh, at something in Luke chapter number 8 that will help us understand a little bit better what is happening right here in John chapter number 13. I've been doing a study uh, on this particular matter and seen some things that I thought uh, would help us this morning as the Lord began to deal with my heart about the message this morning. Okay, so Luke chapter number 8, and let's start our reading in verse number 26 for just a moment. The Bible said, and they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city, a certain man, which had devils long time and wear no clothes. Now I want to pause right here because we're looking in John chapter number 13 at a man. We have 12 disciples, one of whom is going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand that this man's name was that of Judas, right? And we understand this familiar story that Judas sold out Jesus Christ uh, for 30 pieces of silver, all right? And so as we consider uh, this, this, uh, this story, if you will, concerning this man, we also find the man in Luke chapter number eight. And the Bible even says in Luke chapter eight and verse number 27 that it was a certain man which had devils long time and wear no clothes. Let me pause right here because you're going to find this again uh, in, a, in later on in this, uh, in this message. Uh, no clothes is a calling card of the devil. All right. And so it said, and when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city, a certain man, which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house. Now, if you'll remember uh, that uh, over, I believe, let me find a place here over in Acts chapter uh, number 19, when uh, there was certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus saying we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons one gave a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said Jesus I know and Paul I know. But who are ye and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. So that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Naked is a calling card of the devil. And what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with evil spirits no doubt. And we're dealing with that of mankind. And we look at Judas Iscariot, uh, and we look at this uh, this man, this maniac of Gadara here. The Bible said in Luke 8, in verse number 27, it was a certain man which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice, said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God, most high I beseech thee, torment me not. For I had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Now we are understanding here, this certain man who had devils long time was causing this man to react in ways that he wouldn't have reacted had these devils not been in him, Right? And it was causing him to do some things here. And we understand that uh, verse 30 says, And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion. Who said? He said, The man. It come out of the man's voice. So then he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him. Who besought him? Who besought Christ? The devils did. They besought him. Now let me give you the definition of besought. Besought is entreated or implored. So let's look at implored. What does that mean? To earnestly supplicate. All right, well, supplicate is to entreat, to beseech or to petition with earnestness and submission. In other words, what happened here is these devils begged the Lord Jesus Christ that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Now beg is to ask earnestly, to beseech, to entreat, to supplicate with humility. And so what we're finding here is this man named Legion who could not be controlled, who these devils were causing him to do things that uh, he couldn't normally do and give him strength to do things that his body could not do. I mean, he was breaking the fetters and uh, he broke the bands and we understand that Chains couldn't hold this man. Everything that man had done to bind him wouldn't work because the devils that were in him were causing him to break them asunder. He was wild. But understanding that when Jesus Christ was speaking to this man, these devils that were possessing this man were communicating with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be important in just a minute. But suddenly they besought him. So they begged him, they pleaded with Christ that he would not command them to go out into the deep and there was there and herd of many swine feeding on the mountains and they besought him. So they begged him yet again that he would suffer them to enter into them and he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. What did them swine do? They did something that was out of their character. They weren't going to run jump off of the cliff. They weren't going to run and jump off out into the sea and drown. But the devils that were within them were causing them to do things that were not in their character to do. All right, so here's what I want you to see. Let's back up to verse 28 towards the end of the verse where it said, I beseech thee, torment me not. I thought the maniac of Gadara was already being tormented. He was cutting himself, he lived in the tombs, he was bound with fetters and chains, and he broke them asunder. He was living a life that he was not happy with in his body, but these devils were causing him to absolutely self-destruct. So why in the world did uh, the, the, does the Bible say, I beseech thee, torment me not? What was Christ going to do to the maniac of Gadara, tormenting him? It wasn't the maniac of Gadara. It was the spirits, the devils that lived on the inside of the maniac of Gadara that begged of Christ not to torment them. They were tormenting this man, but they did not want to be tormented by that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we understand this communication that is going on between the maniac of Gadara and the Lord Jesus Christ is really, Brother Shane, a, a conversation that is happening between these spirits... And the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Well, it's important. Let's let's look at Acts for just a minute. Verse number, chapter number nineteen again. Verse number thirteen said, "Then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits." The name of the Lord Jesus, saying, "We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth." And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests which did so, and the evil spirit answered. Notice that. It wasn't the man. The Bible doesn't say the man answered. The Bible says the evil spirit answered. Now, he used the voice of the man. But it was communication between uh, this, this, this one that was trying to call out the evil spirit and the evil spirit. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Now, you find in Luke chapter 8, when the maniac of Gadara has the evil spirits removed from his body, he's sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Clothing is the calling card of the Lord Jesus Christ, and lack of it is a calling card of the devil. And when we got rid of the devils, we find out that this man's not only clothed, but he's sitting and in his right mind. All right, but we find here that the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know, but who are ye? Now, we've brought this out before. We understand that Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at one time. He walks up and down and to and fro in the earth, right? Seeking whom he may devour. But he does have a band of spirits, a band of angels that follow him, Uh, that do his bidding and do his working. We understand that. And so we find here that this evil spirit knew of Christ and knew of Paul, but did not know of this one that was trying to cast out the evil spirits. And so the man whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. When the evil spirit got done with the ones that come to get rid of the evil spirits, they left naked and wounded. But you do need to understand something today. We do not find in Acts chapter number nineteen where this individual had Satan dwelling on the inside. We find that this individual had evil spirits, the the the, the demonic beings, uh, the 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 principalities of the powers of the air. We understand that there was there was uh, evil spirits inside this man, but we don't see where the devil was in this man. The devil can't be everywhere at the same time. Now, Job, he was an elitist. What do you mean? Well, the Bible even says that he was a perfect man and upright. He feared God, he eschewed evil, right? And so Job was a man that wasn't perfect like Christ, but he had a heart that was right with God. And it was so much of a of a, of a, of a, of a high level of of uh, goodness, if you will, or uh, pleasurable to God in a sense that Satan hated him so bad he put a bullseye on him. And so, what I'm saying is that it's like, and I've said this before, but it's like the closer you get to Christ, uh, the more of a bullseye Satan has on you. And so, we understand that, that Job, he was someone that God was proud uh, to have in service towards him. But Satan hated him so bad. But all Satan wanted was that hedge of protection taken down so that he could get to him. And he knew that he was going to turn Job against God. But now, here's the thing. We understand in these situations where we see in Luke chapter 8 and Acts chapter number 19. Yes, uh, these men had unclean spirits. They had devils in them, but they didn't have Satan in them. But Judas Iscariot was what? He was close to Christ. He was one of 12 that was right up next to Christ. And you know what Judas wanted? I mean, excuse me, Satan wanted? Satan wanted to betray that of Christ. And he done one thing. He set his mark. He set his eyes on that of Judas. You say, how do you know? Well, let's read John 13 in verse number 22 one more time. The Bible said, then the disciples looked one on another doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop. When I have dipped it. Now pay very close attention to this right here. It says when he had dipped the sop. He gave it to Judas Iscariot. The son of Simon. So we see the man. That has the sop. And the other 11 disciples. Are now according to the words of Jesus Christ. Aware of the one. That would betray him. But notice verse 27. It said and after the sop. Satan entered into him. Now notice this next verse, this next part of this verse. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Who was Christ talking to? Christ was speaking to Satan. Now we understand that Satan has indwelled the body of Judas Iscariot, just as these devils had indwelled the body of the maniac of Gadara, just as the evil spirits had indwelled this one. In Acts chapter number nineteen, we find that the evil spirits besought uh, Christ that they would not; he would not command them to go out into the deep, and uh, besought him that he would suffer them to enter into the slain. And so Christ done that; But Christ was communicating. With a body that was indwelled by spirits and the spirits was speaking to Christ through the voice of the man. We find right here in John chapter number 13 that Christ has looking at Judas Iscariot, but he's speaking to that of Satan. I don't know about you and I'm not all about emotions and goosebumps, but when I read that and realized that what that actually meant, it's caused the hair to stand up on the back of my neck because we see here Christ speaking to Satan, and we see what Satan's intentions are at this time. This wasn't just Judas having an idea. This is the workings of Satan. Satan purposed in his heart to go against Christ Jesus and to see Christ Jesus hung on Calvary to be abused and to bleed and to die. So let me say this, we we a lot of times when things go wrong or we see people do things that are wrong, we want to say that the devil got a hold of them or the devil made me do it. And in all reality, we're hardwired and we are made uh, in this anemic flesh and we don't need Satan to do anything to cause us to steer in the wrong direction because by default we steer that direction anyway. So we don't blame everything that we do on Satan. But in this instance, in John chapter number 13, when we look at Judas, we see specifically the devil's hand in what is taking place. All right, and that's important. So let's continue on here. Now, let me, let me say this real quickly. Uh, Satan is not omniscient, which means he could not have known exactly what God's plans were in its entirety, okay? But he would have known and been able to understand prophecy. And and we understand that he could have known prophecy and the word of God most likely better than you and I could. You know why? Because like I said before, we only go back so far. We go back so far and we have to go to the scripture and look at history through the eyes of scripture. Satan, though, was created by God. He was here when the world was formed. He was around when the world was created. He was sent to the world. You need to understand that. He's in the world. He was at the beginning when all of sin and the world was cursed. And we understand sin. Let me say this. Sin did not start with Adam and Eve. It started with Satan. All right. And so Satan was present. On the earth, and so he has a, a an idea of what's going on because he's been around since the beginning uh, of creation. Okay, you and I have not done that, so we understand here that uh, uh, he he could have understood the prophecy as well or better than men, and it was never any secret that he was going to be crushed. You find it in the book of Genesis, right after he deceived uh, Eve, what God told Satan was going to happen to Satan. It was it was told of Satan by God what was going to happen to him. It was never a secret what uh, Satan's destination was going to be. However, this is this is where things get a little weird. It said, however, we must remember. We must remember. I wrote down here in bold letters, however, we must remember how Satan got where he's at in the first place. Now, it doesn't make sense how Satan could get to where Satan was at if Satan didn't somehow deceive himself. Satan had some idea that he was going to be more than God. And above God, and and he desired something so bad, Brother Shane, that he let his desires, which is pride. Can I say to you, Satan is full of pride, and pride caused Satan to deceive himself. So how is it that Satan, who knew what was going to happen to him as an end result, could go and spend all this time trying to do what he's doing? So we must remember that Satan uh, got to where he's at because of his pride. His pride blinded him to think that he could rise and challenge the living God. How can you can't challenge God? I can't challenge God. Oh, I could do it, but I would fail. You could try, but you know that you would fail. Satan had a desire, and we have desires sometimes. And this is really my heart this morning. We have desires sometimes that are carnal and we want what we want and we get so caught up in our carnal desire that we allow it to deceive us. All right. His pride blinded him to think that he could rise and challenge the living God. That kind of pride friend is debilitating. It's crippling. That kind of pride is debilitating and crippling to comprehension And uh, it causes one to get in a train of thought uh, where their outcome could be different than the obvious. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me read to you Obadiah verse number three. Obadiah verse number three says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rocks whose habitation is high. Pride always will cause one to be deceived. You say Satan understood what was going to happen. Satan knew all these things. I believe Satan had prophecy and Satan could understand what God had said to him, but pride deceived and blinded the eyes of Satan. So what do we see here when we, when we look at pride? What is pride? Pride is an inordinate self-esteem an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accompli- accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs and often in contempt of others. We understand right away that Satan was the most beautiful man that ever had been. And uh, we understand that he esteemed himself. Uh, 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 an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents and beauty and wealth describes Satan to a to a T. And because of pride, we understand, according to Obadiah, verse number three, that pride, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Satan deceived himself because of his desires and his wants and his pride. Do you know what causes us to be deceived today? Our desires, our wants, our pride, the fact that we put ourselves before God, the fact that we feel more about ourselves than we should, the fact that we see ourselves in a light that is far uh, more than what we really are. We do it all the time. So, how could Satan possibly uh, want to see Christ go to Calvary and die knowing what going to Calvary and dying was going to do? Because he was deceived. He had heard, he knew, he was told. How many of us hear and know and are told? How many of us are warned? How many of us are given the words of God to to go into our life and in our heart so that it can steer us in the right direction but we continually and over and over make the wrong decisions and make the wrong choices in life? How can we do it? You say, well, they must not have known. Yes, we've known, but we deceived ourselves. And people are deceiving themselves today. Can I say it's not that Satan thought less of God? See, people almost act like Satan tried to deduce God. No, Satan didn't think less of God as much as he did thinking more of himself. And you and I, we don't think less of God. We don't go to the scripture one day and decide that God isn't everything that he said he was. We don't go to the Bible and look at the scripture and say, well, I don't think God is as mighty as he was yesterday. No, what happens is we start thinking more of ourselves. We start longing and having desires, this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, this pride of life, Dwells up on the inside. We see things that we want and we want it so bad and and we think so much of ourselves sometimes that we honestly deceive ourselves into thinking that we are more than what we are. It's not that we think less of God, we have the same root of pride in our nature. And so 1 John 2 and 6 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust lies, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now we know here, Proverbs chapter number 16, verse number 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride was at the forefront of everything that happened with Satan. And do you know what causes you and I to get ourselves in a place where we know the truth but we think that the outcome is going to be different than what the truth says it's going to be? How many times do you find yourself doing something or getting involved in something or thinking something or, or, or putting together some sort of a plan and, and you know in your heart in all reality according to the scripture that it's not right? And maybe it's not a big thing in your eyes. You even try to justify it away. You know, there's times when we get involved in things, even as born again believers, and we know that it's really not right, but we justify it. Again. We find a reason why it's okay, and it's not. And it's never that it's okay with God. It's really that we justify ourselves into thinking it's okay in our mind. And if it's okay in our mind, then it must be okay. And so we do those things, and and we forget what the outcome's going to be because we're already told more to God how it's going to play out but we do it anyway why is it that we do things that we know what the outcome's going to be because we get blinded we're blinded we're blinded while the truth is right there before us Say, how in the world can one be blind when the truth is put before them Let let me read to you something quickly here in 1 Timothy 3 and 6 and I won't be long says, not a novice. Now, this is the qualifications to that of a preacher or pastor, okay? First Timothy 3 and 6 says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Pride is linked to that of Satan. Satan was full of pride. What does it mean, though, that not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil? Well, what happened to the devil? He was taking out of his place in heaven because of pride. You know what happens to a preacher or a pastor? Uh, That's a a, a novice that turns loose and gets lifted up in pride. Eventually finds himself not in the place where he should be or where he was appointed. Rather, Satan was was in heaven, but Satan wasn't in heaven anymore because of pride and a novice. If you put in a a, a novice as a pastor, you know what you're going to find out is his pride is going to cause him to not be where he was placed. That's what the scripture is saying. And pride will cause you to be removed from where it is that you were placed. Now, interestingly enough, Hebrews 12 and 8, very familiar scripture. Read it, uh, but uh, but this, this stood out to me in a little bit different light. Hebrews 12 and 8 says, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers and you are bastards and not sons, right? And so if you don't get chastened by the Lord, if you can live in sin, Day in and day out and never have the Holy Spirit deal with your heart or, get, or be chastened by that of God. And let me say this while I'm here. If you are by some chance or in the sound of my voice and uh, you are living in sin and you have justified your actions and you have determined that you're going to do what you want to do, you know what the Bible says, but you think for some reason that this special occasion, the outcome is going to be different this time. You need to understand something. If you can do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, and never have the Holy Spirit deal with your heart, you might have to check up on whether or not you've been born again. And I'm not going to beat anybody out of their salvation, but I will say this. According to the Scripture, you cannot live in sin. You cannot go against the Word of God. You cannot do what you know the Bible tells you not to do repeatedly, and the Holy Spirit not deal with your heart on it in some capacity. All right, so, it says, but if you be without chastisement, or of all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. What is a bastard? I mentioned this the other night, and the Lord brought it back to my attention as I was studying this out. It's a child begotten and born out of wedlock. That is the definition. But in the context of Hebrews 12, 8, it says, then you are bastards and not sons. That means you're fatherless. You need to understand that in this context, all right? So there was a creator. Who was our creator? That of, of God, right? There was a creator, uh, uh, but we understand in this situation, there is a creator to everyone, but not everyone has a father. All right, and so we understand that there could be children born out of wedlock. There's a creator, but there's no father. Father's gone. There's no marriage there. Father's left, and there's just the mother and the child. There was a creator, but there wasn't a father. And we find in Hebrews 12 and eight, there's a creator but he doesn't claim that of being a father. If ye are be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. So if you've never been saved by the grace of God, you have a creator, but you don't have a father. You don't have anyone to chase, and you say, what, what does that matter? Well, because we understand John 8 and 44 says that ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him, When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So what is he the father of? Now, we understand the scripture doesn't contradict itself. If If ye are not being chastened, if you can endure, you can go through sin, you can live in sin, you can do things that's contrary to the word of God, and the Holy Spirit doesn't deal with your heart, then the Bible says you're bastards and not sons. So that means you're fatherless. If you're fatherless, how can Satan be your father? Listen to me here. said, for he's a liar and the father of it. Let's look at the definition of father. Father, he who creates, invents, makes, or compasses anything, the author, former, or contriver, a founder, director, or instructor. So we would call George Washington a founding father. We talk about the founding fathers of our nation. Now, not everyone in the sound of my voice is a, is a is of the lineage of George Washington. But we call him a father of nations. You know what Satan is? He's the father of lies. you know why he's the father of lies? Because when you go back and you look at lying, it started with Satan. He's the beginning of it, the creator of it. Sin was on the earth, we understand, before mankind ever took of that tree. So, what? How, how is that significant? Because we understand that we do the very same thing Satan done when he entered into Judas Iscariot. He entered into Judas Iscariot with a plan to see Christ crucified, knowing knowing what the prophecy was, Brother Marvin, but knowing what the prophecy was, he was deceived in his mind, and he always thought there was a chance that he might could do more than what God had said. You know why? Because he thought more of himself than he thought of God. You know what happens to us? A lot of times we start thinking more of ourselves than we do God. And then when we realize and know what God's book says is going to happen, that our sins will find us out, that we surely will get into trouble if we go this direction and we do it anyway, thinking that the outcome is going to be different. How can you see that in any other light than deception? we deceive deceived ourselves. Satan deceived himself. Now, listen, this is important because we find that we do these things. Let's look at what happens here. James chapter number one, go with me there. James chapter number one. James chapter number one and verse number 22. James chapter number 1 and verse number 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. What did Satan do? Satan heard. Satan was told. Satan knew what the outcome would be. Satan knew what the book says. Satan knew what the prophecy was. But Satan still done what Satan wanted to do. All right, so here's the deal. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Do you know what happens when you hear the word of God, but you do not make application with it? When you you hear people warn you of the outcome to your action. When you sit in the house of God, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, you hear the preached word of God, the word of God goes out to you. And you hear it, but you do not do anything with it. Then you find yourself in the same shape that Satan was, the father of lies. It says, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. Satan heard the word of God. He knew what the situation was. He knew he would be crushed. He understood that. But for some reason, he entered into Judas Iscariot thinking that the outcome would be different. Why? Because he deceived himself. He heard the word, but he made no application with it. All right, it said, beholding his natural face in the glass, for he beholdeth, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So in James chapter number one, when we're looking at the one in verses 22 through 24, that to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves, for him be a hearer of the word, not a doer of his life, unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass, he sees himself, he beholdeth himself, he goeth his way, and straightway, immediately. Forgetteth what manner of man he was. Listen to me. You've been the sound of my voice. The Holy Ghost of God can be dealing with your heart right now. You can be under conviction in the sound of my voice right now for the things that are in your life. You can hear it. You can choose not to do anything with it. You can choose not to make application with the scripture. You can choose not to get right with God, walk outside those doors, and the time, once time rolls around, have forgotten the conviction and everything that the Lord has been dealing with your heart. Because you're here and you do nothing with it. And I assure you, friend, it does not change the outcome. You are not special. You're not going to be the one that out of everybody going to eternity, finally done something wrong and got away with it, friend. But the reason that we do things over and over and over again is because we deceive ourselves. For he beholdeth and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man money was. Essentially, it means this. He didn't see himself as he was. (laughs) That's exactly Satan's problem. He didn't see himself as he was, and he still doesn't see himself as he is today. In heaven, he did not see himself as he was. He seen himself as he'd like to be. You know what happens to us sometimes? We don't see ourselves for what we are. We see ourselves for what we'd like to be what we'd like to be doing, what we'd like to be involved in, things that keep our interest, that are contrary to the word of God. We see it, and we no longer envision what we are, but what we want to be, what we want to be involved in. And essentially it does this, we deceive ourselves. And then we think that our outcome is going to be different than it's been all down through the ages. I'll tell you this, one day Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire. And if you've never been saved by the grace of God, you will be cast into the lake of fire. But if you're saved by the grace of God this morning, you cannot live in sin and think that the outcome of your sin is going to be different than it has down through the ages. Uh, for what a man soweth, that shall he also reap. When you sow corruption, you will reap it free. He didn't see himself as he was. Now here's, here's what I want to leave you with and I'll be done this morning, okay? There's three types of sin. There's private sin. There's just personal sin. And there's public sin. I'm going to get the pianist to come if I can this morning. Private sin. Personal sin and public sin. And I want you to know this morning that private sin requires private repentance. What's happened in private that's of a sinful nature that you need to get right with God, you handle that privately. And then there's personal sins that probably revolves around an individual or two. And that personal sin requires personal repentance between you and that individual. Then there's public sin. And public sin requires public repentance. And if I go out here and I make a mockery uh, out of Brother Shane and Sister Pam, and I do something that hurts their name, I go to the Lord Jesus Christ and my broken heart and say, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'm not right with God until I get right with Sister Pam and Brother Shane. And I want you to understand something. There's a lot of people who won't get things right with God because it will require them to get right with some people. That takes humility. And humility is the opposite of pride. And pride that got you where you are will keep you where you are. Satan got where he's at. And he hasn't quit trying to get the upper hand to this day. I want you to know that you are not an exception this morning. If you need to get right with God, you've got something in your life that's causing you to be contrary to the way God wants your life to be. You're not right with God. You're not an exception. What you sow, you will reap just like everyone else has down through the ages. But if the only thing that's holding out you out from being right with God is parking your pride, having some humility and dealing with some things that have to deal with other people, go get it straightened out. And you can have victory back in your life. But as long as you choose, as long as you choose to think that you're going to beat the system, I promise you, friend, you're going to reap things you wished. You had not have sown. let stand to her feet while she plays. If you need to come this morning, you come. Have you been deceived? Are you kidding yourself? Are you joking yourself? Have you found yourself involved in some things that really, you know, you just almost even have an attitude of I don't care. You know, you can get to the place in your relationship with God where you get so far removed from his will in your life that you really just don't even care. I assure you one day you will. I promise you you've been deceived. I assure you that the outcome that you think you're going to get is not the outcome you're going to get. I assure you it won't be fun. I assure you when it's time to reap the harvest of that in which you've sown, you wish you had not have sown it. But are you going to continue on in the deception? Or are you going to hear what the word of God has to say this morning? And apply it to your life. Oh, the word of God is wonderful. But unless you make an application with it, friend, it'll get you nowhere. If you need to come, you come.
1: Our Heavenly Father,
0: we come to you this morning. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truths that we find in the scripture. Lord, how amazing it is that we get to the place where we think we're smarter than the Word of God. When we actually get so deceived within our own mind that we lie to ourselves and think that we can involve ourselves in things that in all honesty are going to take us down. Satan wants to take us down. Lord, if we don't turn and we don't apply the Scripture and be more than hearers of the Word of but doers as well we're going to make fatal mistakes. It's going to cost us far more than we were ever willing to pay. I'm afraid, Father, that a lot of people today are paying for things that they wish they didn't have to pay for because they were deceived. I pray, God, you'd help us this morning to see things in the light of your word. We love you. We thank you for dying for us. Thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, appreciate your good attention this morning.